Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hegarty, Vice President of Equity and Inclusion for Envision Rise. Joining us today is Karuna Ramanadan, and he's joining us from Singapore tonight, which is, you are our first guest from Singapore. I'm very excited to have you. And you are the Principal Consultant for KR Consulting. Thank Welcome. you, Stacey. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's start with some introductions. Why don't you uh, tell us about yourself so that we can learn a little more about you, and then we're going to really get into organizational transformation, one of our favorite topics here. You know, I've been privileged to have worked for like four decades. Next year would be my 40th year. And you know, Stacey, you learn a lot of lessons along the way, but the career is really broken up into a few parts. The first 20 years was in the Navy, of which 11 and a half years was at sea, of which five and a half years were in command of two warships. That was my formal introduction to leadership and uh, leader work. The next 10 years was in the leadership center in the Singapore military, which was being set up. And I was fortunate to be part of that pioneer group that actually brought culture change to a military that was uh, seeking to transform itself. And then from there on, I did three years in government as government's most senior change consultant for internal conversations within senior leaders, leadership collective, uh, that kind of stuff on transformation work again. And in the last nearly six and a half, going into seven years, I've been an independent consultant leading a small team of like-minded associates trying to do work in Singapore and in the region, largely with government-linked organizations, but increasingly also with corporates who are actually facing forced transformation and change. And that's been pretty much the state of things here post-COVID. You know, I mean, basically organizations are finding themselves in a state where they would have to change quite quickly. So that, in a nutshell, is uh, all 40 years wrapped up quite nicely in, well, 60 seconds. Jeez. I didn't know you could wrap up 40 years in 60 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Right wing, huh? A little taken aback that you spent so much time in the military and in government, two branches of the world that we don't think of as being open to organizational transformation of all the places you could go to implement change. That's a hard thing to do. Oh, it's totally. I mean, in my book three years ago, I said that, you know, It's very clear, the motives for change is visible and clear in uh, most organizations. It's largely survival, it's growth, it's bottom line, it's going ahead, it's market entry, it's, you know, whatever. With government, it's problematic because I think it's not so clear at times as to why the change needs to happen and who's going to have to effect the change. And so, I mean, we can get a bit into that. And it's even harder in the military because the overuse of power in a hierarchical system gives you an illusion that you actually get some change work going but a lot of that is simply compliance and so so that's a lot of process driven stuff so you you have different systems i do say this in my talks i said if you really want to cut your spurs and change and transformation work go to government i mean that's where you'll find it all thick and difficult and messy <laughs> well and the culture itself doesn't lend itself well to being to agile change and then throw in a whole bunch of regulations and oversight and the things that we can do in the private sector just aren't reflected there. Totally. It actually is quite troubling because alongside with change, you actually have to innovate. And that's like, you know, a lot of luminaries have said this, you know, scholars like John Tao and all have said, you have to innovate. It's messy and inefficient. And it just is counterculture, Stacey, you know, to, to the way government organizations have evolved. And if, well, at least in this side of the world, there seems to be a certain type of people who actually get into government and that it's not a criticism, but it's simply established ways of working. And it's really hard to unfreeze to use an organizational development term. 
we've got the same thing going on this side of the world where okay then <laughs> i'm somewhat confident there seems to be a perception that there's something comforting about not changing and oh, yeah it's hard to quote unquote and i'm using air quotes now talk people into changing Let's dig in a little bit further and let's talk about how do you confront that issue? The issue of people just being hesitant to change. They may have good reason. They may have no reason. But how do you start to work with people that way? I start with the principle in the work that I do. And I'm actually having a session in about two hours, actually, with a bunch of leaders uh, I start with a principle that change is incredibly difficult for all of us. And I start with myself. I mean, I get annoyed when things are not the way I want to see it, basically when things change for me. And so it is, it's a natural human condition. It's not a criticism. I would be alarmed to meet someone who is all change ready, jumping up and saying, yeah, where's the change? Where's the change? You know, so, so it starts and ends with me. <laughs> it starts and ends with me. And really, if we break it down, and I do that in my work with leaders, you are either a leader or you want to be a leader. Now, the differential there is power. If you are a leader and you've earned your right to be it in most cases, you are in a position of power. The problem with that is sometimes the overexercise of that results in all kinds of issues because, and the justification for that get work done, this is a deadline results. That's a leader issue. And change is incredibly difficult for leaders because they are simply successful people. That's the Marshall Goldsmith piece, right? But there's a whole lot of us just sitting under those positions that have understated a lot of our potency for influence. And that's where the difference between leader and leadership becomes apparent. So then invoking that potential becomes quite interesting to the middle core. I mean, they used to be called middle managers, but in the last three, four years with false changes happening, uh, you now have a huge, a big bunch of people all bunched up in the middle core. They may be managers, supervisors, project leads, team leads, people who deal with vendors, stakeholders, uh, young graduates who have to be stuck in suddenly working in areas that they're not comfortable with. That's a lot of leadership asks going on there. And leadership is simply a process of influence. And so when we do that work, I mean, we actually invoke that potency for influence because influence makes you more successful. And for leaders, it's a little harder, but basically the start point is don't be a jerk. You know, I mean, basically don't stifle all these things that need to happen. So there are different entry points into that logic, that cognitive space, but getting to the effective and emotive space is a lot harder. I mean, and then that's well known around the world. I want to talk about that some more. That's something that the guests I've been hosting lately, we've been talking about the emotion of work and the way you feel about the work that you do and the way you feel at work. Is that something that you're seeing a lot of that it's becoming much more important than ever? Oh, totally. I mean, that's an interesting point because when we work with middle managers, we start there. I mean, I typically start there. How do you feel at work? And because influence is leaders in organizations have to produce results and they should be forgiven for that. A lot is being asked of them, but at, at the end of the day, the organization is not a family happy place. I mean, it, it can be if you work hard at it, but the bottom line is still results. And so a lot of the work that's going on is couched in the language of results. And sometimes it's, it's unpleasant because as I say to leaders, you produce, but you also unintentionally reduce. You reduce people to states where they don't actually feel good. Now, with the middle core, which is increasing the work being asked for in Singapore and in the region, and that's where the execution challenges in a lot of transformation work, without a doubt, 
you actually have to deal with influence. And the measurement for influence is really how people feel about the impact you have on them. Not the results, but how do people actually feel about you? And here's the problem with being a leader. Have you got any feedback for me? Uh, no, boss, you're doing really okay. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? You don't get the feedback. And we rely on 360s, 180s, and those tools are great. But you know, it comes with a whole lot of loaded uh, assumptions, right? But for the middle core, there are simple and effective ways to get a sense of how people actually feel around you. But the starting point for that, Stacey, to get to your question is, if you are getting to work feeling burdened, heavy, with a whole load on your back, like I say, if you're walking to the Everest base camp every morning, then I think that's going to be rubbing off on people. So one of the tricks that I use is, I mean, how do you feel at work? I mean, how do you feel at home? I mean, how do you really? I mean, seriously, how are your relationships at home? If you are feeling terrible at home. No one's going to feel great around you. The same principle applies at work. And as people who work in leadership positions, I mean, basically in leadership, we're just going to have to be mindful of the impact unintended we have on people if we drag our sorry selves to work and say that the whole world's against me. And that's that a bit of that. Okay, you can call it a bit of the shadings of positive psychology, but it's just a law of human nature. I mean, why are you rubbing off negative energy on a lot of people? <laughs> I think as leaders, sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. We, yeah, totally. We think we're doing a great job of you know, masking <laughs> our emotions, especially if there's something going on at home. And oftentimes there's something serious going on in people's lives. Totally. But we think no one can tell and everything's fine. And I'm exactly the same. It's just the world is terrible and oh. it's not my fault. How do you encourage people to work through that, you know, without becoming a psychologist? That's obviously not your role or most people's roles, but what can people do? Be mindful of how you show up. Leadership presence does not require position. It requires presence. I mean, basically, you have to be mindful of how you show up. And I actually say this to middle managers and, and leaders. If you're having, as we all do from time to time, a terrible dialect, I'll tell you what happened last week. I took a couple of days off and I decided that I would go away for like three days, four days, you know. And to my horror, when I woke up to get to the airport, I actually had swollen eye bags. I don't know, it was an allergy. And I just said, this was, I was sharing it with a client yesterday. I said that, could you imagine if I was running a leadership workshop or a coaching session or I had to give a talk, I had to consult? That would be extremely terrible for me. I mean, I always say, this is not how I'm going to show up. And so you are entitled to call the time out. I am not in my best self today. And that's the kind of work we do with middle managers. I am not feeling great. I've not had a great weekend. This has been awful for me. My dog is unwell, whatever the case might be. And let's respect that. We have those days. The problem stays is when those days become the norm. And then we start going into this downward spiral that work is actually the cause of all this and I don't have work-life balance, I need a life. And, and this side of the world, mental health is becoming a major issue. We get repeated requests from clients, so how do you deal with this? And I say, is it resilience? Is it about mindfulness? Or what is it, you know? And you cannot afford to see work as the cause of your problems. A home can be the cause from time to time of your problems, but it's how you show up because that influence you have on the five or seven people who work around you would be quite tremendous. And so call a timeout. Just say, I'm out. I'm out of this for the next three days. And that level of openness and authenticity works a long way in helping people empathize with each other. And so it all kind of stacks up this way. And that's what we do here. You know, we 
keep reminding people that it's okay. You know, it's not a great day. You know what I mean? If this didn't go as well as I planned, I just need to take this day off. You know, I think that's something that at least here in the States, we have not truly gotten to the point of being comfortable with a mental health day or being that transparent that my dog's been really sick or to say, I've got a lot going on at home right now. I need a day or two to focus on that so that I can focus on the work that's at, at hand when I'm at work. Where do we need to be having those conversations? You know, I think there's a piece of it that obviously showing your employees that you do that and that makes it okay for them to do that. How do we get the C-suite executive teams, how do we get those upper level leaders to get comfortable with that level of vulnerability? That's a hard ask. It is terribly hard because it breaks the mental model we have of management and, and leaders. You're supposed to be strong. It's the hero worship. You know, you're supposed to be strong, charismatic, knowledgeable, powerful, decisive. And so therefore, here is this near perfect person who actually cannot fault, who cannot drop, who cannot appear a little uncomfortable, unhappy. And this, I mean, it's actually going away quite quickly because we are, my view of this is we need to shift from the individual to the collective. And that's a whole set of other problems, which means in transformation, it's not the single CEO. I mean, this goes back to Hyphos's work out of Harvard. It's not the single CEO's ambition any longer. It is the collective vision of a group of people who represent management. And that's hard to do. But in terms of interaction, that's a lot being asked for from leaders at this point, because people generally look up. They don't look down. They look up, they meet leaders in the lobby, in the car park lots, in the elevators, in the toilet. Okay. So basically that moment is actually so important. And many people have said this, and many of the scholars have said this, many of the consultants have said this, watch how you're being watched. You are being watched. And it's irrecoverable. I mean, with with senior leaders, we say that, you know what, if you had that one moment where you let your guard down, unfortunately, that perception is going to be tagged on you. And so it's a huge ask. But then again, let's flip it around on the other side. It is okay to say, I've had this terrible day. And that is so powerful because that story kind of brings that back to ground that this person is also human. I mean, it's a human being in action. He's got a family. She's got some issues. And she's going to have some time to deal with that. So to answer your question in a more direct way, I think the respect, empathy, and humility part becomes really important now. The core practice of value, the value of respect is so fundamentally important. I mean, take diversity and inclusion. I mean, diversity is largely representation, but inclusion is a leadership act. It is a self-leadership act. I commit to respecting you as an individual. I will practice empathy. When I get better at it, humility should be quite visible in my actions. So this is what we do with our work with organizations. We bring this back, we strip it apart and we say that if you have nothing else or time for nothing else, please be conscious that you need to be respectful, you need to practice empathy, and you need to try your best to be described as someone with some degree of humility. I like that you said, when I get better at it, that this is not a thing that you switch, this is not a persona that you pick up, that there's work involved in it. And what you said implies practice. Totally. I mean, and for more senior leaders, particularly the C-suites, this is really difficult because the power 
presents a distance between them and any potential well-intentioned feedback. And a lot of the work we do, I, I always say this, you know, with middle managers, you help them get feedback. You know, you just don't go and ask the five or seven people who work around you how basically if you could treat them a little better. And you would get some of that if you open up regularly. Coaching conversations, for example, lots of these formats. But for senior leaders, I get this request, you know, quite often, you know, well, can you just help my people speak up? And I said, well, they just did. The fact that they didn't speak up is data for you. And that becomes a problem because with senior leaders, we have to give them data. So consultants, coaches, we come in and we collect data. And, and we say that, hey, you know, no one's going to tell you this because they're obviously vested and you are in their line. But you need to ask yourself if you can choose to be a stronger, more confident, more empathetic human version of yourself and you can because that's what you are at home you cannot be successful at home you need to be happy at home and so we play with those frames that's so fascinating because so often what we hear is that's just the way i am but it's not <laughs> really the way you if that were the case that's the only way you would be right <laughs> and we are different people all the time as much as we want to bring our full selves to work I react differently with my 14-year-old daughter than I do with the CEO of my company. Totally. So, I, but there are some parallels there, you know? I mean, it's the respect. It's the empathy. Come on. You know, really, it's bare bones stuff. Yeah. Yep. You've talked before about how important it is to help leaders come to terms with what they expect out of a transformational change. So when I think about a transformational change that has likely one of the greatest impacts that you can have, at least on the culture of your organization, it's how you show up and how you have these conversations with people. How can you get leaders to get comfortable with that? So many of us have put up some really high, solid walls to keep us from that kind of vulnerable interaction with people. If you dig a little deeper into it, which I've had the privilege of doing over the last few years, working with several organizations, you get to a place, okay, organizations, management, and the whole concept of it is functional. It is accountability and responsibility for resource. And so basically, it has to be justified. And after that, it produces by itself a defense. Uh, that defense is covert for a large part. But it allows the buildup of a mental model that I need to make sure that the resources under my charge are well used, maximized, optimized, profitable, whatever the case might be, right? Then it allows for silos to form. And some of it's bad, but some of it is real. And organizations are a cobble setups grouping of various functions that come together and they don't necessarily work well together. But then the leaders were actually ultimately in charge of these resources. It becomes really problematic for them to share. Uh, let me give you 30% of my resource to do this. So, so in the first place, you're not going to get leaders actually changing on their own. Now, I was in a session with about 70 leaders yesterday in a big organization and and uh, the feedback i got was oh karuna you're really direct and i say yeah i was direct enough i said hey you guys seriously i don't expect you to be a change leader but you are the change leadership group which then means instead of focusing simply on strategy you need to start to move into visioning constantly to be able to build ambition together to be able to make 
concerted choices between where the focus needs to be in terms of the limited resources and to agree to disagree and basically do so because you are committed to prioritization. So those kinds of pieces are a little bit easier for leaders because then they look to the left, look to the right and say, I'm involved in this, I'm not involved in this, uh, I, I do this and I will not do this and make those choices. And the paradigm there is the success paradigm. With the senior leaders, it always has to be about success. With the middle core, it's always been probably dominated. Success is one thing, but they're generally preoccupied with work and load. And that then becomes a little bit of where you want to tease these things apart. I just said this to the group of leaders yesterday. You will get no reward from this. And I saw a few banks go, you will actually have no reward. I mean, why would you want to think that if I commit to this, will I get rewarded? I mean, you're not going to get reward from this. But you will be remembered years from now as the person who stifled all that creative juice and innovation and the capabilities of people who feared about stretching themselves forward because you did not allow it. So you will be remembered in the leadership world, in leadership development, good leaders. You know, when you ask this question, Stacey, in workshops, I mean, I'm sure it's there in the States as well. Who, who do you admire as a leader? Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi, sometimes you get the Hitler, you know, my father, my grandfather. You hardly get my boss. <laughs> <laughs> Name one leader whom you wish you never met. Oh, my ex-boss, you know what I mean? I had this person, oh my God, this was a living hell. And so, 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 that was, you, you see that, you see that. <laughs> I'm actually having those thoughts right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will withhold names to protect the guilty. <laughs> totally. I think we should. <laughs> so I've got one last question for you, and this has to do with being forward looking. What advice would you give to people who are maybe now individual contributors and are thinking about stepping into a leadership role or those brand new leaders, maybe they're fresh out of college and they're ready to change the world. What advice do you have for them so that they're not mid and late career in a few decades from now, trying to change the way they've always done things. It's funny, you know, just before this, I was sitting at my desk early in the morning and I was actually preparing a proposal for a client just on this. Okay, so we've got an ask. <laughs> you know, things have changed. I mean, not too long ago, let's go back to the universities and the college. You, you'd step out of college or university and you would enter an organization and you might believe that you'd have maybe three to six months to find your feet, maybe nine months, you would correctly assume, one would correctly assume that you would have a manager or supervisor who would closely guide you. And basically, you would not be given too difficult work pieces or task or jobs, assignments, but you would be closely watched and helped and supported. Stacey, all that's gone through out the window. It's gone out the window. It's we are facing work compressions deadlines. We are facing hybrid work arrangements remote work arrangements, uh, Zoom off calls, uh, no videos, uh, basically, you know, I might be in the gym in the middle of the day, just tell me what you want. And, and it's incredibly difficult for people to cope with that. So going to the question, we believe that one of the critical success factors for people in the middle of an organization, and even for people who are aspiring to be leaders, is to quickly shift from the manager mindset where it's directive to the adaptive team leader frame. And these three words are really important, adaptive, 
which means you are flexible enough to the left or right. And that a little bit of that is in a sense making complexity. Team, the formats are no longer work groups, which is when most organizations are actually organized in work groups in a waterfall. But in terms of team formats, where you look at roles instead of jobs and leader, because you need to be prepared to step up into leadership positions as and when these present themselves, not necessarily by appointment. So adaptive team leaders are a really big thing with the work we do. And we're going out into, in Singapore, I mean, we are branching out into the ASEAN region for that uh, because there's a huge ask for it right now. And I think there will also be some generational potential in terms of the younger people who are a lot more internet savvy and the democratization of knowledge. And they really wonder, why do I have to sit in a room and listen to you for two and a half hours when you actually can we can get straight to the point in 20 minutes? And that's being adaptive team. I hope I answered that question. Absolutely. Adapt, 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 and be willing to adapt some more. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Karuna, where can people get in touch with you? You mentioned your book. Where can they find you? The book was not meant for sale, but I'll happily send you a copy if you want to read it, Navigating the Seas of Change. It's just a 90-page on how the naval experience actually helped me to actually look at leadership from a fresh pair of lens for organizations. But you can find me at Karuna at krk.sg, krk.sg. And I think you'll have those in the notes as well. And do drop me a line and I'll be more than happy to talk to you, talk you through the, some of your issues and, and point you to the resources should you need it. I've already had in some of the earlier calls where I had some well-intentioned, uh, hey, what about this and what about that? I'm most happy to speak again uh, and share more about my thoughts, Stacey. I, always willing. And thank you so much. You are obviously a wealth of knowledge and so much great information. I am fascinated with your story. Karuna, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. We appreciate it. And we hope to talk with you again. Thank you. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.